2: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, before we get the show started, I wanted to be sure to um, let you all know that we, we launched a brand new website and uh, would love for you to check it out and stay in the loop of who's going to be on the show every week and who's coming up. Um, you can see our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Also, if you'd like to call in today to speak with our guest, um, feel free to do so at 610 664 4100. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to speak directly with Tara J. Frank, who is joining us this afternoon. And Tara is the Vice President of Multicultural Strategy at Hallmark. Welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you so much. It's good to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Glad uh, you could join us. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Tara, before we get into the work that you're doing with Hallmark, which just to kind of give the listeners a sense of of what a multicultural strategist does. um, Basically, the work that you do is to ensure accurate and meaningful reflection, I guess, of multicultural population at Hallmark. Is that correct?
3: Yes, that's the simplest way to describe it. Okay.
2: I always like a one-liner, you know, to kind of (laughs) simplify things. Um, But I want to talk about your background and where you came from, which is always um, the most interesting to me. And um, I'd love for you to talk for a few minutes about your years growing up in Massachusetts.
3: Yes, happy to. Um, I grew up in southeast Massachusetts in a relatively small town, a city called New Bedford. Um, and most of the people who are from New Bedford, until my generation anyway, um, didn't really leave, you know, that that region of Massachusetts, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I'm actually of Cape Verdean descent, and the Cape Verde Islands are off the west coast of Africa. Uh, and my my descendants if you will my grandparents were actually born in the Cape Verde Islands. so I'm only the second generation born in this country and what that means is the city I grew up in uh, was a very tight-knit kind of nurturing familial um, type environment and my parents obviously uh, I'm very close to I always say my my mother uh, gave me roots and my father gave me wings and the reason I describe it that way is you know my mom is kind of the pragmatic one in the family and and my dad is the one who really never put any limits on me and I I think encouraged me to believe that there truly weren't any limits the the world was my oyster if you will Um, but New Bedford is just a tight-knit community you know being Cape Verdean we uh, Cape Verde gained its independence from uh, Portugal to become an African nation in only 1975 which was one year after I was born um, so growing up we had our own independence day you know we celebrated our, our own uh, freedom if you will it was it was a really unique experience we had a parade we had bike rides we had our own food growing up uh, so it was, it was a really unique and, and warm and, and nurturing experience but I'm very close to my family and even though I've been away for quite a while now um, it's always good to go home
2: yeah. And Tara, how many, you have uh, some
3: siblings, am I right? I do, I do. I have two older brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them lives in Long Island now, uh, and the other lives in West Palm Beach, Florida.
2: Okay. Um, I love the story of, of your mom being a pragmatist and your dad being the dreamer. It's a nice combination, mm-hmm. um, you know, to give you as far as lessons and kind of how to go about life. Um, I wanted to point out the story that you shared with me about uh, the poem that you published at six years old, which yeah. I think is very telling in, <laughs> in you know, your, your course into writing.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, the funny part about that is, and, you know, if you had a chance to talk to my mom, I'm sure she would, she would tell you, uh, I believed when I was young that I was going to be an artist. I think back on that now, and it's pretty funny because I started to, to scribble and, and write um, on pretty much everything I could get my hands on from the time I was very, very young. And I had my first poem published in uh, the Standard Times, which is our local newspaper, uh, when I was six years old. <laughs> uh, it, it was It was called Fish in the Water. <laughs> uh, I read it now and of course get a get a good laugh out of it um but that was the first of a few that that were published in my local newspaper and it was definitely a sign to come uh, while I was convinced I was going to be an artist my mother told me uh, for as long as I can remember honestly that no, you're going to be a writer. And uh, I actually used to get mad. I used to be like,
4: no, I'm going to be an artist.
3: But like most things, you know, my, my mother was right. That's so
2: fun. Do you have the clip? I'm sure you do. Of the, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's terrific. Um, t- talk for a few minutes about your high school years. Um, I, I believe you went to a, an all-girls school? Well, that or was
3: college, Spellman, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went to high school in New Bedford and I was pretty quiet. I'm I'm a borderline introvert extrovert, which people find surprising um when they see me in person because I'm I'm an expressive uh introvert type if you will, but I only had a handful of friends. Um I I went to Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, which is an all-black uh historical, it's an all um women's historically black college okay. and um, in in a center called the atlanta university center which had other historically black colleges as well um, that experience for me was was really life-changing i'm um, not trying to be dramatic but it truly was i grew up as i said in a pretty small city um, had like many successful women the whole you know big fish in a small pond kind of thing from mm-hmm. an achievement standpoint but going to Spelman flipped that uh, paradigm, which I, I know I'm not the only, you know, executive who has that story because all the women were high achievers uh, and, and everyone, you know, had done great in high school and everyone was in the honor society, right, and, and held leadership positions. And, and so it was a, a stretching uh, and a growing experience, both perfer- personally and academically um, unlike anything I, I even could have wrapped my mind around, even though I had definitely high hopes for the experience.
2: Yeah. Well, would you say that that um, kind of competitive culture uh, was intimidating at all to you, or, or was that more motivating?
3: I think it was probably a, a combination of both. The thing about Spelman being all women um, and all women from from a similar background means that even though it was competitive academically, there was still a, a really strong... Nurturing environment. I think Spelman, like like other historically black colleges, really focuses on developing the whole person. Um, there are, there are many experiences we had that were about fortifying us, you know, in terms of just from a self-esteem standpoint, uh, confidence, you know, courage, preparing us not only to be successful women, you know, from a professional standpoint, but but whole women and. Uh, generally confident women and, and women who would grow up and do more in society uh, than, you know, make a lot of money and and get fancy titles, right? Right, yeah, so right. It was right. very nurturing.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so when you graduated, uh, F- Spellman, um, you went right to work for Hallmark. Is that Thank right, you. as a card writer?
3: Yeah, yeah, I did. I was I was actually a junior uh, at Spelman when Hallmark came to recruit for the very first time. Um, and a piece of this story, you know, that I, I think is probably important to mention is I'd actually wanted to work for Hallmark since I was 14 years old. Uh, people at Hallmark have heard the story a lot of times, so they're probably sick of it by now. But <laughs> since I, I used to write all the time and I love to draw. I always found greeting cards a really fascinating medium. Um, It brought, you know, emotion together with the written word, right, creative writing, um, also with art in a vehicle that really helped people. And so I wanted to work at Hallmark since I was 14, but, you know, the Internet did not exist back then. So I really, I didn't even know where Hallmark was, to be honest with you. I just figured I would make my way there eventually. (laughs) Uh, Send a letter with a stamp.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you know,
3: I'm like, I'll, at some point in time I'll find out you know right so when I was in college I thought well maybe I'll make my way there via advertising um and I, I got this scholarship to kind of have this amazing experience in New York City with a few other students from across the country we visited some top ad agencies and it was a very cool experience but to to uh keep it short by the end of that experience I thought well maybe maybe that's not quite for me um but when I was a junior, uh, my, my Shakespeare teacher, actually, her name was Dr. Sizemore, was reading her announcements. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. You kind of get up in the first few minutes and read the announcements. And she said, uh, Hallmark Cards is coming to Spellman." you know, looking for interns. And everything in me just kind of set aflame. I was like, this? Is destiny that,
2: exactly uh, that? Gosh, that's fate,
4: right? It was
3: it was pretty it was pretty amazing. I, I kind of hightailed it to the career planning office and said, "Okay, I'd like to have lunch with them. I'd like to be their tour guide. You know, whatever <laughs> it is." And I was probably I- extremely annoying, but they they suffered me patiently. Uh, that's the way I like to describe it. <laughs> and um, I got the internship between my junior and senior year. So that's really where my Hallmark career started, and, mm-hmm. and upon graduation, I started as a greeting card writer, which people somehow don't believe real people actually do that, but but real people do do that. Yeah. I would imagine
2: that would be a great job.
3: It was very cool.
2: Yeah. Yes. You know, um, Tara, you did something that I, I find most people don't come out of school, um, start with a company, and work their way steadily, consistently up through the ranks, which is really what you've done there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find it really remarkable and, and impressive. Thank
3: um, you. Yeah, it's people ask me a lot, Sue, um, what has made you stay at Hallmark for yes. uh, going on 19 years now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of answers to that, but one of them is I just believe so strongly in the brand. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a values-based leader. It's just kind of how I'm built. I've always been, uh, you know, energized by my passions, uh, by what I believe, by what I value. And when you work for a brand that really is built to enhance people's lives and enrich their relationships, it, it always, um, you know, keeps me energized and keeps me in a really good space. And beyond that, I've just been given the freedom to try lots of different things so while I've been there for 19 years I've had many different kinds of jobs you know right. I've, I've played different roles I've worked with so many amazing people um, and the people definitely is one of the best things about Hallmark
2: yeah um, <clears throat> I read a lot of Testimonials about you, Tara, and the and the work that you do, and one that stood out for me because I think it it really speaks to who you are, and seemed to be a general consensus mm-hmm. um, was well, someone said that that your ability to bring colleagues along towards new ideas is stellar. Oh, and I, that was nice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it is nice, and I think it's it's such a key um, component to being a good leader. You know, not just kind of you know telling people where to go, but putting your hand out and saying, you know, come with me and let's do this together.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of that is, you know, obviously understanding your audience. But I think people, I've been able to to influence people over the years um, based on a couple of different factors. One, I definitely have an appreciation for um for business, you know, for the marketplace imperative if you will. And bringing people along especially in a in a corporation often has as much to do with with aligning goals, you know, and ensuring that everybody kind of has the same objective mm-hmm. um, as it does with with soft skills such as storytelling and and collaboration and um you know, creating the win-win. So being able to identify what really is the need here, what are we all trying to accomplish, and then figuring out how to use data um, and story and, and new ideas, thought leadership um, to wrap all of that up, you know, in something that others can believe in along with you
4: mm-hmm.
3: is, is truly the way I think we've we've been able to achieve um, many groundbreaking things together. But But I love a good story, right? Kind of yes. back to the back to the poem in the newspaper.
2: Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's at the basis of everything.
3: Yeah, it really is.
2: Yeah. So just to backtrack for a moment, in 2009, you were vice president of consumer platforms. Mm -hmm. Tell me what that is and and what was the uh, job?
3: Yeah, well, we were uh, developing consumer insight based platforms. So at the time, you know, Hallmark was was looking to kind of expand our footprint in the marketplace. We're known for greeting cards, but we do a lot more than just greeting cards um, and more than even gift wrap, you know, which is something else that people might think about when they think about Hallmark cards. Yes, yes. We're recognizing, you know, that as a brand that truly is about family, that's about relationships, about expression. That there were broader places to play uh, for us beyond, you know, the ink on paper kind of tangible expression of of someone's feelings. So, the consumer platforms were really about that. To say, which other spaces can we play? What other kinds of needs can we meet, and for whom? Right. Um, and how do we develop businesses to that end?
2: Yeah. And what would you say was one of the toughest um, things that you had to face during those years in that position?
3: Um, One of the toughest things I had to to face in that position, if if you don't mind me going a little personal on you. Not at all. um, I I grew up in creative. So, you know, I was a creative kid, right? Mm -hmm. I started my career in creative. This particular job was actually a business job. Um, So I was leading a line of business and and accountable for for driving profitable revenue. Um, It was a stretch opportunity for me. I learned from it tremendously, um, but I was not necessarily 100% in my uh, zone,
4: Mm -hmm.
3: you know. I I had to learn a lot of new skills um, from a financial perspective, business modeling, etc. The good news is I learned all of those skills, Uh, and I wouldn't necessarily call it the bad news because there was no bad news, but the challenge was it didn't come as naturally for me um, as some other things I had done prior and, and some things I've done since, so it, you know, the challenge was also the opportunity, uh, as is true for many things. I learned a ton, right. um, But it, but it was hard work, you know, for me to to line up right my passion and my expertise and my uh, my skills. Yes. Um, sometimes with the work that was being asked of me.
2: Right now, so when you're doing um, a job that doesn't kind of come as naturally, mm-hmm. w- did you feel fulfilled um, in that position, though it wasn't creative? Because you were learning I guess some some additional skills as far as business yeah, and
3: yeah, and and you know that was truly the part that kept kept me energized. There were days that the work itself wasn 't the most energizing for me because it, I often ask people, you know I do a lot of leadership coaching, and I ask women to identify what about this work energizes you and what about it drains you. So there were aspects of the work that were draining, not because they weren't valuable, but because they weren't natural for me. Uh, but what kept it interesting for me during that time period was the fact that I was learning continuously. I'm a, I am ai love to learn. Um, I have relatively high learning agility, you know, which means I can, pick things up relatively quickly um, and build upon them. I think that's a very important leadership competence these days, Mm -hmm. how rapidly everything changes. Yes, yes. So being able to learn and, and continuously learn did keep me energized, but there were times, there were there were moments. I'm not going to lie to you, and that was the only thing that kept me energized.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's every um, no matter what industry, no matter what position, you know, there are the things we love about it, and there are the things that you know we kind of um, not dread, but that are mm-hmm. they're more challenging. And you, yeah, yes, those are the ones you have to push through. Sure. Yeah. So tell me about um Hallmark in general as a company when did they start to focus on the need to um implement initiatives i guess that that are, um address multicultural yeah. issues
3: Well you know Hallmark has had um specific uh product offerings or solutions for ethnic consumers for over 25 years um so we've we've been in the business of meeting multicultural consumer needs for a long time. Our mahogany brand which is for African Americans has been in existence for 27 years. We've had Spanish language card lines um for over 20 years. We've had a Jewish card line, right? So we we do product in multiple languages. So we've we've had a presence, but I think um it was a few years ago that we really kind of took a pause and said, "Wow, you know, the the demography of the United States anyway is changing so fast um, and so dramatically and since we are a brand that intends to you know it, it kind of make a genuine difference in every life every day what is every life going to mean um, five years from now 10 years from now you know 20 years from now mm-hmm. uh, that's different than than what it has meant to us over the last you know 100 years of being in business And so we really kind of stepped back and started to take a good look at, uh, you know, the the statistics and the census, obviously, but also deeper than that, who are we really, whose needs are we really trying to meet? And what role should Hallmark play um, in this social evolution, um, if you will? And, And in that discovery, we identified several really meaningful, authentic opportunities for us as a brand. We are a family brand, you know, and family is is naturally a huge core value um, for many multicultural consumers. Mm-hmm. We are a, a brand that's about celebrations. Celebrating is also, you know, a, a core um, behavior or something that's very important. Um, and so when it comes to just emotion, expression, celebration, family, the alignment between the Hallmark brand and the core values and needs of a multicultural uh, consumer are, are almost on top of each other. Right. which helped us realize, you know, not only do we have an opportunity, um but but we have a privilege here. You know, <laughs> we have a chance to really kind of come alongside people in a way that that gives us the absolute right um and benefit of being in their lives in a more personal uh, lasting way. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of transformed the way we do everything. Um, to ensure that we could be in partnership with all consumers.
2: Right. Well, not, and not only that, you, you were doing this kind of work all along and now kind of needed to tell the story, right? Or yes. Point out the things that Hallmark has, has already been doing. Sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It, it's so interesting to me, you know, this the whole topic of diversity and inclusion is, is on everybody's radar right now. And mm-hmm. I, I'm always interested in, what specific initiatives companies are doing to uh, make that better? Can you be you can tell us some of the speci- specific, excuse me, that Hallmark is doing um, to do that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd like to first kind of share a a point of view um, or a philosophy about this, because to your point, so many people are talking about multiculturalism, we're talking about diversity and inclusion, and While technically those things are are sometimes separate within large corporations, right, you kind of have a marketing arm, um, and then you have HR, which does diversity and inclusion and and focuses maybe mostly on workforce and workplace, Um, I see them as inextricably linked. Uh, And that's kind of how we talk about it at Hallmark. And the reason why is if as a business you're really ultimately – trying to show up differently to a multicultural America. You're trying to meet their needs. You're trying to provide solutions, right, to Mm -hmm. their problems, um, however your industry defines that. In order to really understand those problems well, I do believe in, in my heart of hearts that corporations need more people who reflect that diverse America in their leadership ranks. So it's a passion point for me to say you know, diversity and inclusion, right, within leadership ranks and corporations, is really one um, faster, cheaper, right, more authentic way to meet marketplace needs. If you have folks who understand, you know, how these consumers operate, how they behave, what they value, what they want, even even to a point, what their frustrations are, you know, what their concerns are, uh, on a kind of a deeper motivational level. If you have people making decisions who understand that your decisions are better. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it drives innovation in a way that feels a lot more genuine. Um, so those things are connected to me. So I do a lot of work, even though I'm on the marketplace side, I also do a lot of work with our HR partners on how do we bring these points of view into our fold uh, and really leverage, you know, our employee resource groups, right, and consumers, et cetera, to make us continuously smarter Uh, about meeting all of these different needs. So we just had our first uh, diversity and inclusion summit, you know, a a few months ago at Hallmark. And Mm -hmm. we had different people kind of come and and share a point of view on um, demographics in America, what's happening with spending power, you know, what's happening in certain industries in terms of growth, et cetera. Uh, And we also had people on a panel where we really just talked about how do you leverage culture as an influencer, um, beyond the, you know, it's the right thing to do conversation. How do you really leverage it to drive the business? So that's what we're focused on. Um, and we're, we're doing some brand development work right now in, in some of our ethnic brand spaces. That's one of the, the levers that we're pulling really intentionally. Um, we're looking at our, you know, rooftop segmentation um, approach. How do we make sure that as we come up with solutions that are specifically relevant to certain people that they get to the right places? Um, and people can access them in a way that's natural for them. Mm-hmm. So we're working across the enterprise, honestly, on a lot of fronts, um, but but trying to do that very deliberately and and do it with some with some urgency.
2: Yes, and you know, um, let me just mention our uh, phone number in case someone's listening and wants to call in. Tara, it's uh, mm-hmm. 610-664-4100. and uh, I'm speaking with Tara J Frank, who is the vice president. For multicultural strategy at Hallmark. Um, If you'd like to call in with some questions for Tara uh, about leadership or diversity. Um, One of the things, Tara, I'd love for you to point out and just kind of more specifically why we know it's important, you know, for innovation and Mm -hmm. to address the different cultures of people that just frankly live, you know, in the United States and around the world, and we're becoming so much more diverse. But can you explain why, from an economic standpoint, it's important and how it really changes uh, the company's bottom line?
3: Yeah, um, there are many, many case studies to be found out there, you know, about how diversity and inclusion and and how multicultural consumers can can uh, drive your business. But a couple of things I'll share. Okay. So one, you know, I, I think we've all seen the stat that by, you know, d- by 2050, if you will, that was when they first started sharing it, more than half of the country will be uh, non-white um, there are uh, There are some studies though that have been done that if you think about multiculturalism more dynamically, meaning beyond discrete ethnic groups, you also think about things like you know where somebody lives or whether they 're in a, a multi ethnic family right mm-hmm. um, Certain influencers like that they truly change the entire ecosystem, so it 's not only about you know, how, what percentage of the population is white versus Hispanic versus, versus African-American. It's also how are we changing by virtue of our connectedness? And so there's a, there's a research company called Ethnosex that did a study and kind of recalculated America's multicultural tipping point based on some of these more dynamic factors. Uh, and they declared that we actually hit a tipping point um, August of 2014, which means we're beyond the tipping point. The reason that's important is it, it basically shows you that more than half of the country at this point in time is directly and personally influenced by ethnicity um, that is not white. And so when they're looking for, you know, cars to buy or food to eat, right, or, or how they want to celebrate or how how their holiday plans change as a result of, of this blending, if you will, um, that's half your marketplace, you know? And if you're talking about women who really make 85% um of purchasing decisions, th- they're those are all of their inflection points. You know, when they have babies, it, it, they have an inflection point, right? When mm-hmm. they um, when certain holidays come around, they're really kind of the keeper of how to bring everybody together and keep the family connected. And so, women will, you know, be 53% um, non-white here in several years as well. Um, so all of that is incredibly important. But the spending power is growing dramatically for Hispanics, uh, African Americans, and Asians. There are some industries, Sue, that actually would be in decline if it were not for uh, ethnic spending power.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: You know, they would literally be in decline if it were not for those particular dollars. And 80 percent of of spending growth in America over the last few years uh, has come from non-white consumers.
2: Yeah. It's it's so interesting um, to me. Uh, Tara, we actually have uh, someone calling in with a question for you. OK. Uh, Fields, are you there? I'm here. Great. You have a question for Tara?
3: Yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. Um, oh. <laughs> Good i feel hey tara i'm a big I'm a big fan of hers. Tara, a uh, quick question. Um, yep. who were your mentors and how would young ladies you know go about finding mentors in, in the competitive environment it is today oh i I love that question. Who are my mentors um they're actually uh, really, really varied fields, honestly. Uh, one of my mentors is is my mom. I'm not trying to be dramatic, um, but being the pragmatist in our family uh, and someone who's always kind of kept values at the core of everything she does, she's mentored me in that way. I, I am definitely what, what I consider to be a values-based leader, um, which means I believe that it is totally possible uh, to achieve every dream and then some by being true to who you are. <laughs> I I know a lot of people kind of go out there and and they think about, you know, how much money can I make or what kind of position do I want or what kind of power do I want. Everything I've achieved in my career has been um, due to following my passion um, and and being clear about what differentiates me, uh, what I'm really good at, and kind of building on that over time. So that, I would say, she's one of my mentors. Um, another one of my mentors actually uh, left us not very long ago, and, and that was Dr. Maya Angelou. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to bring this up yet, Sue, but you know, I worked directly with Dr. Angelou um, at Hallmark when we did uh, Life Mosaic together, which was a collection of cards and gifts. And I was actually her editor during that time.
2: Yeah, that was one of my questions. I certainly was going to bring that up later in the show, Tara. I think that's so – what a great, great experience.
3: Yeah, it it was amazing. And and Fields, the reason I I answer that she was one of my mentors is, you know, a teachable moment with Dr. Angelo pretty much was every time you were in her presence, right, or or on the phone with her. And she really taught me to claim my space. she she truly did not only in the kinds of things she would say to us but whenever we were in her presence Um, and one of my examples is uh, we had a meeting one time in, in Santa Monica and we were at this long rectangular table and we were waiting on a couple of other people to come in and join us And I was sitting across the the table from her, and and we were engaged in conversation. Well, when the other people came into the room, I stood up um, to give one of them my seat. And in my mind, I was being polite. You know, I I was being respectful. I was being polite. I wanted somebody else to have a chance to sit down. Uh, And and I caught her eye, and she was shaking her head at me. She was shaking her head no. And she she used to make this face that was kind of like, you know, don't ask any questions, just follow my lead, right? (laughs) So uh, I sat back down, um, and she she leaned in close to me, and and she said, um, you don't have to give up your seat for anyone.
4: Mm. She
3: said, you are just as worthy of that seat, you know, as anyone else, and you need to sit proudly in it. Wow. And so, yeah, I, um, I miss those opportunities to to learn from her directly but obviously her her work is still there and and the memories of those experiences are still very much alive in me
2: that's right and we we have those writings all those writings.
3: oh yeah yeah and in terms of advice I, I'm just gonna say this everybody looks at this somewhat differently There you know the conversation about mentors versus sponsors is is obviously a very very vibrant conversation and mm-hmm. I've heard women say you know, having mentors is is when you ask somebody to kind of share advice with you or insight or um, give you great feedback and, and all that's great, but having a sponsor is really somebody who's working behind the scenes on your behalf, who's removing barriers, who is um, linking with other people to ensure that your ascent, if you will, your, your growth, your professional development, um, the road to that is a lot smoother for you um, and accelerated. And so they kind of differentiate between those two people. What I tell women is, number one, be excellent at all times, no matter what. Um, Number two, recognize when you are in a springboard opportunity, which means sometimes we get put on special projects or we get asked to present something to a group of people. You know, we're asked to go on a special trip um, with leaders at higher levels than than we are. And all of those things are are what I like to call springboard opportunities. They're things that can completely transform how other leaders perceive you um, and your potential. And, And so I encourage women to be conscious of those moments um, to prepare for those moments, and to know really what it is they want to experience in their careers and be, be prepared to articulate that to the people who matter when it matters. Um, and folks will often reach out to you, you know, when they see that you have a spark uh, worthy of investing in.
2: Right. Exactly. Fields, thank you so much. What a great question.
3: Um, are, are you going to rebroadcast this? Uh, I'm following you now on Twitter. Um, yes. Are you going to rebroadcast this or have it on your Twitter feed?
2: Yes. Yes,
3: yes we will. Thank you very much. Okay,
2: thank, thank you. you. Uh, Tara, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about your work with Big Brothers and Big Sisters. Okay. Thanks. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear, by the way, are inspired by artistry
1: and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create
2: a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevedacouture.com. Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business is more than a place to earn a degree. It's the epicenter of critical new ideas, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a powerful network of over 2,500 corporate partners. From March 2nd through the 6th, get an inside look at what it's like to be part of the LeBeau online community with a free digital test drive. Participants will be able to experience online learning, explore student support services, and interact with Drexel faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Drexel's bachelor's and master's business programs rank among the best in the nation, with the online MBA recently being named as the number one program in the world for career services after graduation by Financial Times. Join the LeBeau Test Drive and experience studying as an online business student Visit Drexel.com slash Lebeau online. That's Drexel.com slash L-E-B-O-W online to sign up today. Drexel.com slash L-E-B-O-W online. Reimagine the future of business with Drexel University's LeBow College of Business. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. I'm being joined today by Tara J. Frank, and Tara is the Vice President and Multicultural Strategy. uh, I'm sorry, Multicultural Strategist at Hallmark Cards. Um, I'd like to mention also that we're going to be replaying this program again tomorrow at 3 o'clock. And if you're listening and you'd like to ask a question of Tara, feel free to call in to 610 664 4100. Um, Tara, I know that you do a lot of work with Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And I guess my first question to you is is why you decided to do uh to partner with them.
3: Well, it's actually um you talking about me personally or Hallmark? It's I work with the boys and girls clubs.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I had I had Big Brothers and Big Sisters as an organization that you work directly with.
3: No, no, I've done some Hallmark does okay. tremendous amounts of work. <laughs> with a lot of organizations united way um, big brothers big sisters you right. know there are a lot of hallmarkers who uh, link directly with that program and, and spend a lot of their personal time, you know, volunteering in schools, et cetera. Right. Um, I did some leadership coaching and, and development work with big with uh, Boys and Girls Clubs um, okay. of Greater Kansas City when I still lived there. I live in Dallas now, though, so that that time to spend with them is, is not what it used to be.
2: Yeah. Um, speaking of your living in Dallas, and mm-hmm. um, I'd love to point out to the audience that you also happen to be a mother of six children. Yeah. In the middle of all the work that you do. Um, I don't want to ask about, you know, life work balance, um, but I do want to ask, you know, um, how you find being a mother of six children and carrying this type of a position with Hallmark um, is the most challenging for you? And what are some of the things that you do to kind of lower the stress that would come along with that?
3: Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. I actually um, I'm publishing a book this May, and, and I have a whole chapter about this because it's such a fascinating topic, and and so many of us, you know, discuss what it means to truly have that balance. I I don't necessarily believe that there is such a thing, you know, which which may have been what you were scratching at as work life balance, but I do think we are faced with a series of choices day to day. For me, you know, the best way to approach that is when I'm with my children I try to be with my children and when I'm working I try to be working Mm -hmm. Um, and and try to have that focus and and create some lines of distinction between those periods of time that obviously isn't always possible to do Um, I do travel a little bit here and there my husband uh, who also travels some is a great uh, support we truly you know co-parent um, we have a blended family, so honestly we co-parent with a couple of, you know, with a few people. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's truly a village approach, you know, that we personally have um, in taking care of our family. But my kids are a little bit older, um, which, you know, sometimes means there are more events or, or you know, concerts or games that they have that we, we have to manage. But it also means that I can sometimes explain to them, um when I need to be somewhere else or, or if I need to do something and kind of bring them into it a little bit with me. I I give them um you know the respect of kind of knowing when uh you know when I have to make difficult choices and I really engage them, and I think because of that, they understand. the The flip side of that is, to be completely honest, I've had to relinquish, you know, the idea of being PTA president. Uh, I'm never going to be PTA president, right. and I'm I have to be at peace with that. You have to let some things go.
2: That's right. That's right. And you know, talking about being in the moment, that it is so much harder today because of the distractions. Mm. Um, you know, the 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 fact that people can. Um, be in contact with us at all times, all day long. And you have to choose very purposefully to, you know, to not uh, respond to an email or answer a text or a phone call. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Tara, I wonder if you can talk about uh, a time in your life that, you know, we all experience professional and personal um, adversities and challenges. Mm -hmm. And a, a time in your life that you may have been, experiencing a personal challenge and what you did to move past that?
3: Yeah, um, this is a great question. I, I will probably say there was about a three-year period, maybe two, two-and-a-half, um, when I was going through my divorce. That was was honestly a hugely uh, challenging time for me on, on a lot of different fronts. At the time, I was vice president of... Uh, creative writing and editorial. Mhm. So, um I had a 150 person organization uh to that I was responsible for, um about eight, you know, middle management direct reports. And I was a very visible leader. You know, I like to be kind of out with the people, you know. Mm-hmm. But I certainly had moments where my energy was lower, you know, or I was going through some really difficult decision-making at home and throughout that whole process and it it was hard for me sometimes to keep that um, keep that energy uh, going. I I will say when I think back on it there were a couple of things that helped me thrive, uh, survive some days to be honest and and thrive other days through that experience. Uh, One was I had developed really strong um, trusting relationships and so there were a couple of people at my job who knew what I was going through, and provided air cover for me uh, in in a really intentional way, and I will never forget that because there were days I really needed that air cover. You know, some moments I I honestly didn't have it in me, if if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. To, yes. To kind of be out there in front um, mm-hmm. and, and be who other people needed me to be. So you know, I had an admin at the time. Her, her name was Tammy. She she literally would sometimes clear you know my morning of meetings so that I could just be in my office with the door closed and and gather my mind right
4: mm-hmm. um
3: but other people outside of that door and outside of our little bubble they've told me you know, after my divorce was final they said I never would have known you were going through that
4: mm-hmm.
3: so having people in your corner who can help you um, pick up those you know those pieces uh, and stand in the gap for for me was very, very important. I honestly had to learn how to lean on on my friends. Um, my family was you know in Massachusetts uh, and I was there in Kansas City, Missouri at the time, with no family anywhere close. I had great friends, but they worked too, so I had to figure out what my coping you know strategies were going to be. Yes um, so that I could manage the the executive job and the at the time you know three young uh, children and and they were seven. Five and two wow. uh, at the time when we were kind of going through this,
4: so mm-hmm.
3: one foot in front of the other. Um, I prayed a lot, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I got myself a little soundtrack going. Yeah. You know, and and tried to find joy in the everyday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my children brought a lot of that to me, but also the wonderful people I work with and and the very purpose driven work that I that I was doing helped keep me focused as well.
2: Yeah. It's it al- tough. It's always a combination of things, right? Absolutely. Uh, who. Tara, who would you say comes to mind if I were to ask you um, who believes in you?
3: Oh, boy. (laughs) That is an awesome question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first person I'm going to answer is I believe in me. Oh. And I I couldn't have answered that in the same way um, about five years ago, Hmm. which is very ironic because I've, I've never, you know, no one would ever look at me or interact with me and think, oh, she lacks confidence, et cetera. And so it's never been an all out lack of confidence, but I always put, you know, some kind of limitation, um, on the potential, you know, I think. And, I stopped doing that, and I don't know if it's turning 40 or, you know, <laughs> what it is. But, but I certainly at this point in time, you know, the way I look at it is, gosh, you know, I, I have these experiences, right, these, these skills, these talents, and more so um, this passion and this purpose, and I do really believe that um, th- what I'm engaged in right now is, is limitless, yeah. And so I just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other and and bringing other women along because I'm there's nothing I love more than watching smart women succeed and and to me it's about collective progress and and so the more I pour myself into that honestly the more confident and and strong I become. I think because I realize that my work is about So much more than me right now. Um, Beyond that, my husband and my parents—I, you know—I think they know there are three people um, that whose opinions I I care most about. Mm -hmm. I I tell them that I need them. You know, I need their their support and their belief in me. I'm a human being like everybody else. I think we all need somebody who believes in us. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When you said Tara, you said you you put a limitation on your potential. Mm -hmm. Was that from a a place of fear? In other words, were you afraid of getting to, to certain levels because of what that would um, mean? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I So I love the fact that you keyed in directly to what that Um, hesitancy was about, because I think it's easy for somebody to read. If I say I put limitations on myself, people might assume, okay, you didn't believe you, you know, you could do it or that you were capable. It honestly hasn't been about that. I told you my father always, you know, pushed me kind of out beyond my comfort zone. So I've seldom had moments where I just think I can't do something, Mm -hmm. but it was more about, you know, am I going to lose control of this? Meaning, how how big and how big can I go? How fast can I go? How broad can I go, without um, losing you know my my grip on the situation
4: mm-hmm.
3: and really trying to um, keep some semblance of of control over that growth, which can be so organic. And it, there are a lot of conversations I've had recently where I'm like, you know what? I think I just need to stop being afraid of that. I need to believe that whatever happens from me investing right, my, my talents and my passion and, and really leaning into my purpose, that whatever happens as a result of that is supposed to happen right. and that good things will come of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I need to trust myself enough to be in the moment with it and, and make good choices. As things progress, does that make sense?
2: It does. It makes a lot of sense. and yeah. and I think it's important, you know, first of all when when women like you are um, willing to open up on such a personal level, it's so powerful. um you know, which is the reason I do the show. I think it 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 teaches such lessons. And lets other women know, too, that it's not always easy to get to a certain level, you know, a certain title, perhaps. Right. Um, so, So your willingness to do that and to open up on such a personal level, I'm so grateful for.
3: Well, thank you for en- engaging me and asking me such good questions. Oh, well, that's, that's <laughs> wonderful. I'd
2: love to hear that. Um, tell me what your take is on wh- what you think it is that holds women back. In other words, we all face, you know, kind of the daily family situations and, and also a lack of belief. You know, there's mm-hmm. that self-doubt. Everyone faces that, men and women. Um, do you think there's one thing that's key to what holds women back, executive women, from, from promotion?
3: Yeah. Um I think there is an external there are external factors and there are internal factors. Do you mm-hmm. want me to focus on the internal ones or Sure, or both. Okay. Yeah. Um the external factors I, I do think, you know, I, I shared that I'm uh releasing a book here soon and one of the things I talk about in there toward the end, I kind of write this letter to the business world. Um, The book is primarily written for, you know, emerging women leaders who who want to advance in their careers. But I I put this section in the back, though, um, written to business leaders, because I think they really need to understand the role they can play in helping women break through Um, some of the barriers that exist and one of the things people say all the time is you know well I don't like to kind of call out a specific group or or women versus men et cetera. you know we hire the best person for the job and I think what we forget is that there are very specific ways people become the best person for the job we're not born the best people for the job we don't graduate from college the best people for the job we become that because people give us the insight right access and intervention we need to learn the culture, right? To understand uh, the company goals, to know what leadership is valued and what kind of leadership is not. You know, we get put on special projects, right, that help us become smarter about the business and give us more exposure and a broader perspective. So there are many ways people become the best person for the job. And there are, quite frankly, some people in certain corporate environments, whether that be women or women of color or people of color, who are not um, met with that insight, access, and interve- intervention uh, necessary to make them the best people for the job. So it's essentially like, you know, if, if Americans were in a scavenger hunt in Australia with Australians, we're going to have a disadvantage. <laughs> Americans are going to have a disadvantage, right? right? Yep. Um, so there, there's a lot there to be said of what do we need to do within our business climate to ensure that everybody's getting the information they need and the opportunity they need to become the best person for the job. Um, on the flip of that, as women, there is a lot we can do, honestly, but I'm going to, I'm going to point to this one part, and that is we need to get to know ourselves a lot better. I have been, um, continually surprised, and I shouldn't be, but I am, at how many women, uh, cannot tell me what they want to be experiencing career-wise in three years. If I say, what kind of experience do you want to be having, right? What skills do you want to use? What skills do you want to be learning? What kind of culture, you know, do you prefer to be operating within? Um, What kind of work do you want to do, right? What is the nature of the impact you want to make? Mm -hmm. Many women can't answer that for me clearly, Um, If I ask them what differentiates you, you know, what's your differentiated value? So great if you're a financial analyst and you understand numbers, that's fabulous. But hopefully all financial analysts do. Mm -hmm. Um, What really sets you apart? Many women can't tell me. And so getting to know ourselves better than anyone else knows us, I believe, is key to helping us kind of chart a path forward. Um, and, and break through some of these barriers. We have to be as prepared to lead as businesses are prepared to um, make space for us to lead.
2: Yeah, I think that's great, a great insight, Tara. I, I, you know, strongly believe that it, it's probably the most critical thing is is people not knowing what's important to them, mm-hmm. which was, is sometimes a great question, right? Ask yourself, what is important to you? And that often leads to, um where you're headed or where you should be focusing. Yeah, and, that's and, right. Yeah, and I you know, I think it's a, not having the time really to to be kind of quiet and with yourself and and think about it and analyze it because we're so busy with the the tasks of the day.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Tell me yeah, what but, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say the um you know, the reason honestly I even wrote the book was to help women be better prepared to lead. A lot of us want to, but I, I think it's one thing to want to. It's another thing to be prepared to. Yes. And, and so that's truly, you know, what it's about. I've, I've, I have this woman I used to work with, and I used to tell her all the time, you know, we have to have an inspired purpose but, but also a practical approach. And so the work really is about that. It's about what is our inspired purpose but also our practical approach. And, and I think as long as those two things travel together – you know, we, we can make a greater impact.
2: Exactly. And, and you're right. To be prepared, it kind of gets back to that, you know, limitation on, on potential. Mm-hmm. Um, right. you, there will be a fear there if you don't feel that once you do start to kind of move into those leadership roles, you're not um, Yes. capable, right? So true.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, Tara, tell me what you say to your, to your daughters about leadership and kind of, you know, motivating them to really get out there and find what it is they're supposed to be doing.
3: Oh, wow, I love that. So we have one about to enter college um, this fall, Mm -hmm. and we also have a 14-year-old daughter who's a freshman at a a visual and performing arts high school. And what we really tell them is that there's more than one path, you know, to realizing your dreams.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, It's important to... Understand or to have a vision for your future, to have a dream, uh, but you know, at 14 and 17, don't don't block yourself into exactly how you expect it to come about. Keep dreaming, right? As right. you get more information and as you further develop and as you acquire new skills, continue to dream. Build on that dream. If it needs to take a, le- a bit of a left turn, let it do that. But really get in touch with with what you love. Um, and what motivates you and what energizes you, and feel, feel comfortable, feel confident following that prompting. The doors will open, and, it, you know, our job is to give you enough courage to walk through them when they do. Um, but we want them to shape their future, you know, based on their core, That's based right. on who they are, you know, and, yes. and what they value and, and what they love.
2: Yeah, they've only just begun. They don't realize that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's think,
3: right. So, right? We, you know that's what parents do, though, right? We tell our kids things they don't yet get. Right. We hope, hope eventually they'll get it. <laughs> right.
2: That's our job, and they don't like yeah. us for it. But too bad. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it really, you know, the the uh, kind of cliche, life is a journey. You know, it's not a destination. Yeah. Is so very true. Even for someone like you, um, in the position that you hold today. You know, you have years and years and years of of things to come that can take you perhaps in a different direction or Mm -hmm. just something in conjunction with, um, you know, your position at Hallmark. Yeah, definitely. We have a few minutes left, Tara. I'd love for you to just leave the listeners with, um, I guess, what would be your your last bit of advice for women in particular Mm -hmm. um, who may be in a position— in a company, um, you know, they're, they're an executive. Um, They're feeling ready to take that next step and into a new role that would perhaps be promotional, but they haven't really come to that inner belief yet. What Mm -hmm. would you say to them?
3: I would say you have more creative power than you know. And we have to trust ourselves more than we do. And when I say that out loud, Sue, I say it to you, I say it to me, you know, to myself.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I say it to my children. I say it to every woman out there. Women have, and 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 I'm perfectly comfortable with calling this out as a point of difference. I think some people say, oh, you know, it's not just women. I'm like, okay, yeah, eighty twenty though. <laughs> <laughs> women have, yes, women have unique gifts to give to the world.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We are inherently um, intuitive. We are inherently, you know, it, it kind of emotionally intelligent, if you will. We're nurturers. Um, we, we have made some of the most important, you know, things, uh, people, if you will, over time. And our creative power truly is uh, limitless. And, and I think we have to get the confidence to know that we have something unique and differentiated to add to the business world. But we have to do the work to clarify that. So that's, that we can then go communicate it and ultimately activate it.
2: That's right. And I know that you did work yourself to come to that yeah. place, right? Absolutely, yes. And and the the work is 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 kind of analyzing yourself and analyzing others and and reading and learning. It's it's such a combination of, of factors.
3: Yes. It, it, it definitely is. You have to be, you know, people say today in the business world, we're looking for people to become curious again. And I tell women, well, you know, become, become curious about you. I want you to be more curious about you. Yeah. Oh, that's a great,
2: that's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, I want to be sure, tell me the name of the book, Tara, and, and the release date, if you know it. Yeah. Um, the name of the book is Say Yes.
3: And the subtitle is A Woman's Guide to Advancing Her Professional Purpose. Um, and it will be available for purchase online um, in early May.
2: Early May. Okay, that's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up quick. That's exciting. It is. Thank you. Well, we'll have it. We will certainly have it on our website and, and point people to it. And, and I'm, I'm anxious to read it myself.
3: Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate everything, and I've really enjoyed our time together today.
2: Thank you, Tara. I appreciate you um, joining us, and uh, the, for the listeners, uh, I just was joined by Tara J. Frank, Vice President of Multicultural Strategy at Hallmark Cards. Uh, cards, rather, excuse me. Tara, have a great day, and thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you. Take care. Take care. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco. Have a great rest of the week.